Good morning, New Life East. Let's stand together. Let's give our worship to the Lord. He is worthy of it all. Shake off any slumber we've been in. Let's give the Lord our best today, our attention, our affection. Sing this, Come Thou Found. Come Thou Found of every blessing to my heart to sing Thy grace. Streams of mercy never cease. Call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me so.
Jesus, we are here to worship you alone this morning. Come on, let's sing this. A thousand generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the Lamb. And all who gone before us and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the Your name is the highest, your name is the greatest, your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and 
the Old Testament, Abraham comes before the presence of God and God without prerequisite, without any pre-requirements comes to Abraham and says, I just want to bless you. And not just you, but I want to bless all mankind through you. All of your descendants, I want to, I want to bless. And this is the character of our God, is that he, to you, comes and he just wants to be generous because that's the nature. And what he does to Abraham is he says, he, he blesses him with, with, he just gives him, just generous to him with possessions. He gives him a son. But what he also gives is he gives a covenant to him. He enters into a covenant, which is an agreement with him. And you today might feel like God not only has abandoned you or ignored you, but you might feel like there's actually an agreement with God where he's against you. And what I think he wants to tell you this morning is that that's not the nature of God. God is constantly coming for you without prerequisite. And he wants to enter into agreement of blessing with you. And so this morning, if you, you need to just open your heart to that. For you, this might mean rewriting some patterns that are set. For you, this might mean trying to understand God in the newness and the fullness of who he is. There's fullness of joy for you this morning. The band is going to continue to worship. And, and we're, the message of this next song is purely about blessing, that he has good things in store for you. And so let's remember that we worship the God of Jacob, the God of Abraham, who's coming to you. He wants to enter into a covenant. He wants to enter an agreement with you of blessing. Receive that blessing this morning, church. Okay, let's 
just let the Lord work in your heart. Order our desires, Lord. God is against you, or he hasn't been for you at least, and I feel like this moment is to remind you that he is for you, and he has plans for you, and I just want to lean into that a little bit longer. Can we sing this chorus again, that he has good plans for us? scripture in Jeremiah 29 I know the plans the Lord has for me they're plans to prosper me to give me a future you know what's interesting about the like Christian vision of life is that we believe that God wants to bless us we believe that he wants to prosper us we believe that he wants to give us a hope for the future but the drastic difference between Christianity and like the rest of the world is that we believe we're not supposed to hold on to those blessings like those blessings, we just become the filter through which they make their way into the world. And so much of what happens with our lives is that we just continue to be conduits of blessings. So we bless people with our words. We look at the lost, the forgotten of the world and we remind them that God has in fact not forgotten them. We look at the poor, the broken and the marginalized of the world and we let them know that, that we're with them. 
We take our time and our energy, but we also take our resources, the very resources that God has poured out and blessed us with, the very resources that mark the bank accounts and our phones, the very resources that we use to take care of ourselves and celebrate. What, what God says is that we take all those blessings that he has given us and we actually don't settle them with us. We help the world prosper. And so New Life East, I wanna say thank you for your generosity because when you give here, that's exactly what happens. When you give, you don't give to like making sure the church happens in a gymnasium, although that's always part of it. You give to making sure the single moms in our midst who are fighting for well-being for them and their kids have access to resources. You're giving so that the families who hit a moment of financial hardship don't come up against it alone. That's because of you. So we wanna say thank you. Your generosity is a gift, not just to us and New Life East, but it's a gift to the people who call this place home and to people who you will never meet. Because what you have done is you have allowed God to bless you and then you have taken that blessing and transferred it out into the world. So thank you. If you wanna to continue to partner with us, there's multiple ways that you can do that, whether it's giving online, giving mobile, or giving here physically in person. But thank you for your generosity. Just one quick announcement for you this morning. We announced last week that what we wanna do is start the year off with like prayer as the focus of what we're doing. And so this Thursday, we will kick off 24 consecutive days of 24 seven prayer, which is a lot of prayer. And what we need, we need you to help make that happen. Sorry, brain fart. We need you to help make that happen. You say a lot of words up here. If you wanna sign up, if you wanna sign up to be a part of that with us, Glenn and Vicki Smith, the leaders of our prayer team, they will be in the fellowship area. Grab a donut, grab some coffee, and then stop by. Sign up to pick up an hour of prayer. If you want to sign up for every single hour throughout the week, like every, every Monday at 8 a.m., you can stop by. They'll help you get signed up for that as well, and we'll continue to communicate with you about that. It's going to be great. Why don't you take a second to turn and say good morning to someone around you? Lord be with you. So good to see you. Happy New Year. Uh, this is your first time with us. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life East. And it's a joy to have you in our house. Hope you had a great uh, Christmas and New Year's. Ours was great. Of course, we worshiped here uh, with you on Christmas Eve and then Christmas morning. Uh, we did our thing, uh, open presents. And then we saw that this huge like storm was blowing across the Midwest and that if we didn't leave like right then, we weren't going to be able to make it home uh, to Wisconsin to see our families. And so we went full out home alone style for two hours, packing up the house and all of our things and hit the road and uh, left Liam behind, but he was fine. He's 11. We didn't. He's, it's all good. 
It was good. But we had a great time and then got back last week and excited to be here. Uh, this is the first um, Sunday of the new year, obviously, and across all of our New Life congregations. Uh, we're taking this Sunday to have a little Vision Sunday. And so Vision Sunday, somebody's excited about it. Got slain in the spirit over by that. But Vision Sunday really is a time for us to talk about who the Lord has called us to be and kind of set our meter for what the year is going to look like. So I'm excited. I've got some thoughts to share with you this morning out of the book of Ephesians. Before we open the scriptures together, uh, I want to introduce you to a really good friend of mine, Andrew Devaney. Can you give Andrew a hand as he comes up here? So you don't know who Andrew is, but I'm going to introduce you to him. So I got to know Andrew when he was a Denver seminary student many years ago. And he came and actually worked for us at the church in Denver. Brilliant guy, training for ministry. A little bit uncertain as to what the next years would hold for him, what he was going to do. And at the time, there was some work that was growing up in Uganda over in Africa that he was kind of paying attention to. And since that time, uh, that work has grown exponentially. God has blessed it in profound ways. You guys have heard me talk about a trip that I took to Uganda last summer. It was with them, their ministry. And then we've got a trip uh, as a congregation, New Life East is going there this coming summer. And so I thought it'd be cool to have Andrew come and just share a couple minutes on the ministry, what's happening, this trip. And so Andrew Devaney, I'm really glad to see your face at New Life East. Can we give Andrew Devaney a hand one more time? Man, tell us what the Lord is doing through Aswa Ministries in Uganda. Yeah, so good morning, everybody. Um, to do this, I, I thought what would be helpful would be to just kind of introduce my experience getting into work in Uganda and a little bit about what we do. And then Andrew's just going to fire some questions off about what the trip uh, would look like uh, while, while New Life is in Uganda. So when I, when I was a college student, I had the opportunity to travel to East Africa and spend a summer over there. Very immersive experience, living in a local home, fetching my own water, showering with a bucket, uh, using a pit latrine for the summer. And, and it was a remarkable experience. And there was this really critical event when it first started that sort of shaped my whole time there. And we were sitting on a bus, and my professor, who was helping lead this group uh, at the beginning, <clears throat> read an article that had just come out that day from Christianity Today, and it was a, a Kenyan adult uh, who grew up as a missionary, or grew up as an orphan in an orphanage that was uh, sponsored by missionaries. And the article was called The Good Missionary. So she's reading it to us, I'm kind of this young college student. And what he focuses on it is, he says, the things that he likes and doesn't like about missionaries. And what he says in it, uh, there was two key points. He said, number one, focus on friendship hmm. more than helping. Mm -hmm. And he ended the article saying, follow up is everything. What you do afterwards is more yep. important than what you do while you were there. And these words just kind of, they almost haunted me. Mm. I thought about them the entire summer while I was there. And I built the, this, this beautiful friendship uh, with a gentleman named Henry. And out of that has grown this mission and this work over uh, about 10 years now called As One. And what we do is, is rel relatively straightforward and, and simple uh, we raise money here in the States uh, to build a Christ-centered community development model. We build a school, a health center, a farm, and a business in each community, little mm. rural communities that we want to bless and to show them that God sees them, that God's, God loves them. He's actually wild about them, mm. wildly in love with them. And through that, our goal is actually to generate local income to sustain all of our operating costs. 
uh, so that everything it takes to run the mission and the organization there is coming from the local communities themselves. And what, what ends up being birthed out of it, what we talk about often, is this work of Ugandans empowering Ugandans. Hmm. Today, we have 300 full-time Ugandans leading the model and the mission there, uh, educating thousands of students, serving thousands of patients through medical services, and working with thousands of farmers every single year. And uh, it, it's been a remarkable, beautiful story that's been created. And it's, it's come from building a, a, a community, a global community of people that want to put uh, the world's poor, that want to mm. put the Ugandans in the driver's seat of creating the change that they hope for, for their country, for their communities. And so um, uh, the name as one comes out of John 17, 21, that we would be one. Uh, with the Father as, as he is, and that through that, the world would come to know him. So, Andrew, you guys over there, you're in five different communities. Yep. You said there are 300 Ugandans that are supporting this work and sustaining this work. You guys, it's really so beautiful when you go over there. It's a breathtaking work of the Spirit. So that really raises the question then, what do a group of Americans exactly. <laughs> have to offer the Ugandans? So what will this trip be for anybody that wants to go on it? And so we, what we want to invite you guys to do is a couple of different things. Uh, to, to go and to see and to be a part of the work that God is doing mm -hmm. across the world. Um, to go and to engage in relationships, building relationships, building friendships and connections. Uh, one of the things that kind of amazed me when I was in seminary was thinking about the movement of the global church mm -hmm. around the world. Uh, that while in the West the church may be declining, around the world, parts of Latin America, Asia, and particularly Africa, it's exploding. And so I think for the own nourishment of our congregations, for our souls, to be able to see how the Holy Spirit is at work definitely around the world uh, is to go and to participate in one of these trips. And so we, we build a lot of uh, concrete, programmatic ways in which you can engage from uh, going and visiting homes, praying with families, spending time with and in the community, mm. while also partnering with uh, the, the schools and the health centers that we have set up, uh, hosting a spiritual emphasis week uh, with our students, getting to relate with, uh, uh, you know, tons of young people. Uganda, 80% of the population is under the age of 30. Mm -hmm. uh, so tons of young people, and you get to be a part of learning from them, uh, being a part of their spiritual walk, but also uh, getting to invest in them, mentor them, so encourage them. Yep. And the very thing that was talked about today, tell them that there is a good God. Yeah. That has good plans for them. It's amazing because they are hungry to hear and they're hungry to receive. But then also, like Paul talks about to the Corinthians, he says that you and I would be mutually encouraged by each other's faith. So you come home so encouraged by the faith of these people. Tell us, we got just a couple minutes left here. Tell us who from our congregation should consider going on this trip. So is everyone a broad enough term? <laughs> it's fine if it's true. <laughs> Yes, uh, everyone, in particular, you know, we work in these really specific domains of education. So if you're an educator, if you're a healthcare worker, uh, we have five different health facilities set up across the country. If you have any background in ministerial work, uh, have a heart for uh, prayer, intercession, uh, teaching, working with local pastors, uh, I think anybody that has that, that type of mm -hmm. uh, demographic would be great. But if you're someone who's also looking to, to go and see uh, a model of missions work uh, that is, you know, 
doing an amazing thing, empowering local people to change their own communities. I think you would absolutely love it. Uh, I didn't know what I was getting into at 21 years old, and now I'm uh, about 30 trips in. So great. So, so. listen, Andrew is going to be out in Connect Central. Uh, is he going to be in Connect Central Fellowship Hour? Okay, so he'll be out in the cafeteria for Fellowship Hour. You can ask him more questions about the trip. You also can sign up right there. You can fill out an application. We will, as a church, we'll help you through the whole fundraising process. It's several thousand dollars to go on the trip. Accepting applications for the next several weeks. I think we close really at the end of the month. And then the trip happens in mid-July. So if you feel any, even if you're like uncertain, like I'm not really sure, maybe talk to Andrew or talk to one of us. Yeah, and let's fill up this trip and it's going to be so much fun. One more time, can you give it up to Andrew Devaney? Thank you, everyone. So great. Thanks for being here, my friend. All right. At New Life Church, we have a saying about what we're about as a church, and it goes like this. This is kind of our mission statement as a community. You can put the first uh, slide up that we make disciples uh, in the Pikes Peak region. And here we are on the east side of the city, New Life East. We make disciples on the east side of the city by calling people to worship, connect, and serve. And so those three words, worship, connect, serve, really define who we are and what we're about as a congregation. Uh, that's what we think following Jesus looks like. That's what we think following Jesus requires. And so I want to spend some time talking about those three things uh, for us as a congregation. I'm going to be in the book of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, and I'm going to jump around just a little bit here. So I'm going to actually kind of work my way backwards through a passage uh, because it sets up what I say a little bit better. But I'm going to start in verse 19 here and hear the word of the Lord by the Apostle Paul. He says, consequently... You're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people, and you're also members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord and all God's people said, thanks be to God. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful to be here. We're so grateful to be in your house. Thank you that the peace that passes understanding is among us. Thank you that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Thank you that you're putting order and composure in our lives. Thank you that you're settling us in Jesus Christ, that you're building us on the rock that is Christ Jesus. Thank you that you're filling us with the Holy Spirit, that you're driving back the clouds of sin and sadness, driving the dark of doubt away. Thank you that you're confirming in our hearts our identity as beloved sons and daughters of the living God. Thank you that you're calling us into service. Thank you for all that you're giving to us. We pray that this morning as we open the scriptures and talk, we pray that you would confirm in us where we are on the right path. And then we pray that you would correct in us all that needs to be correct, corrected. We ask that you would do all of this, both in your gentleness and in your strength, and that you'd help us think more clearly about what it means to be your people. We're asking all this in Jesus' name. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. So the first thing I want to say to you, Worship, Connect, and Service, that we're called to be a worshiping people. People of God are called to be a worshiping people. Let's look at that text that we just read from one more time. Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people. 
and also members of God's household built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. And then in him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a what? A holy temple in the Lord. And in him, he says, you two are being built together to become a dwelling place of God in which God lives by his spirit. It seems as though the whole reason that God calls a people together in the first place is so that he can have a worshiping community on planet earth. And when you look at the scriptures, the whole sweep of scripture, you see that this is true from beginning to end. One of the things that I've always marveled at reading through, for instance, the book of Exodus, God delivers his people up out of Egypt, but his stated reason for doing so over and over again to Pharaoh is he says, I want you, Pharaoh, to deliver my people, let my people go so that they may, do any of you know? So that they may worship me. He's looking to have a worshiping people. And of course, when you read the book of the Psalms, the book of the Psalms, which is the church's prayer book, it really is just an invitation to worship. Psalm 95, come let us worship the Lord. You might even say that that invitation of worship is really the first invitation and the definitional element of the church's life. We're called to be a worshiping people. The church has always recognized this. One of the great teaching tools of the church down through uh, the ages is the Westminster Shorter Catechism, which says, Uh, that the chief end of man or the chief end of human beings is to glorify God. Think about that. That the first thing that you were made for and the pinnacle of your existence as a human being is to glorify God, but then also to enjoy him forever, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We're called to be worshiping people. Now the skeptic among us might say, but you know, that just seems kind of silly to me. Like what does God need like a bigger fan club or something? And so that's what worship is all about is that we get together and we just tell God how awesome he is because God has kind of a fragile ego, you know. And so God just needs people together, always kind of pumping him up and reminding him, God, you really are talented and you're amazing. And gosh darn it, people like you, God. Does God really need that? And that's a fair enough question. I heard a story, one of the great writers of our day, a woman by the name of Mary Carr, uh, grew up an atheist, no religion in her background, at all. And she struggled with alcoholism for a lot of her 20s, 30s, into her 40s and went through various periods, stages of recovery, trying to get her life right and was really struggling with the whole recovery process. And at one point after 90 days, she was in AA, she had received her 90 day token. And that night she delivered a lecture at Harvard, decided to go out with a bunch of students afterwards and party. And the next thing that she knew, she woke up at 3 a.m. behind the wheel of her car in a ditch. I mean, just like She was that rock bottom. And during that time, she'd made a friend with a woman, a believing woman who was a recovering heroin addict. And this believing woman, woman of faith, said to her, Mary, you just need to hit your knees. And Mary was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Why? Like what she meant by that is you need to start praying. You need to engage in the life of devotion, prayer and worship. And Mary was like, that's so stupid. Why, Why would I do that? What does God need, like his ego stroked? You know, like I just, well, I'm groveling before him. How does that like make him better? And this recovering heroin addict, believing woman said to her, you dodo head. She actually used more colorful language than that. She says, you don't do this for God's sake. You do it for your sake. God is not, God is not some needy being up in the clouds who's like, man, if I could really just get some people together to affirm me. And let me know how amazing I am. That would be so great. God doesn't, do you know that? That your worship doesn't add anything to God? 
It doesn't. God is complete and perfect in and of himself. When we get together like this, it's not like God is just feeling all charged up by it. You know, your worship doesn't add anything to God. You know what your worship does? Your worship aligns you with the truth of God. It brings you into alignment with his reality. I think about some of the things that happen in worship. I could say this, that in worship, one of the things that happens is that I'm reminded of who I am and what is true of the universe. How many times have you come into worship and your head has just been so screwy about yourself, your place in the universe, what the world means. And you come into worship and somehow there's like a mindfulness takes hold and you get your thoughts clear again. We're reminded of who God is. Another thing that happens to us in worship is that we're refilled. How many times have you come into worship and you just felt like you've been on E, like you've got nothing left in your spirit. And even though it just feels like a grind to even lift your hands, somehow in that act of engaging in worship, you find that, this energy of God comes into you. That you're filled with the Holy Spirit again, that the strength of the Lord takes hold in you. Again, we're reminded, we're refilled. But then thirdly, you know what also happens in worship? Is that we are reconnected. That sense of vital communion with God and with other people, it happens again, reminded, refilled and reconnected. We don't worship for God's sake. Why do we worship? For our own. We need to worship. We need to come into the house of God. And it's so challenging, isn't it? It's challenging for so many reasons. I think one of the reasons that worship is challenging, quite frankly, is that our flesh doesn't always want to do it. You don't just like, we are not, I mean, if the doctrine of sin is true, then we don't just kind of wake up in the morning every single day going, yes, I get to worship the Lord. Most of the time we wake up in the morning, we kind of wander around with a sort of muddle of thoughts and impressions and selfish desires and all of that. And it takes some effort to get into worship. And I, you know, I get paid to be here on Sunday mornings, but I don't always want to be here on Sunday mornings. There are plenty of mornings that I stand in here and I got everything in me. It's like, gosh, I would just rather be somewhere else doing something else. And you'll see me on the front row over here, lifting my hands or getting down on my knees or sometimes laying down on my face before the Lord and I don't know what you think is going on in me when I do that. I suspect that sometimes you think, boy, he just must be overtaken by a fit of inspiration. Boy, Andrew really loves God. Do you know what is often happening when that's going on? Is that I'll find myself in worship thinking about how the Packers are going to do in the afternoon. And so you know what the act is? <laughs> I'm serious now. Selfish thoughts foolish thoughts, idiotic desires, all that stuff overcomes you. And so therefore you act against that by bowing before the Lord. Say, God, I submit myself to you. God, help. God, help. God, I'm saying right now, you see all the rebellion of my soul. You see all my wayward desires. You see my greed. You see, you see how, Lord, I'm looking at that preaching moment and I'm anticipating what's going to happen there. And I'm not even thinking about the ministry of that. I'm actually thinking about my, my own ego or how they're going to think and about how I do this morning. And that's so stupid. And please help me, God. Would you fill me with your spirit? And I'll often pray when I'm down on my knees. I'll pray, God, would you please cut my heart open? Because right now, I don't really feel anything for you. And I don't really feel anything for these people. And I know that you call me to more. So please, I'm asking, slice my heart open 
with love for you. The scripture says that you'll take away from us our stony hearts and you'll give us hearts of flesh. And I'm asking this morning for a heart of flesh. Would you please come and do that in me? And do you know what happens? He does. The miracle of the new covenant takes place again in us. Worship is challenging because our flesh doesn't want to be here. But you know why else worship is challenging? Because sometimes we go through things and those things that we go through, it seems like it's at odds with the promises of God. And so we just don't want to be in the house of God. Mandy and I, before Christmas, we sat with a family from New Life East that is just going through it in the worst way. And they describe what's happening in their life and all the stuff that's going on in their family. And our hearts just broke for them. And then they said to us, they said, Andrew, Mandy, it's so difficult for us to come to worship right now. And we said, tell us more about that. And they said, well, when we come to worship, you know, it's so challenging because we're carrying all this stuff and all these big questions about God. And then we come in and everybody's just kind of clapping their hands and they're smiling and they look like they're having such a great time. And it just grates on us because that's not where our heart is. And we feel like we're out of step with the congregation. And then we'll have people come up to us and ask us how we're doing. And we don't really know how to answer that question. We don't want to give them the blow off answer. But if we try to tell them the whole thing, there's not time. And it's just awkward for us to be in church. What do you recommend? You know what I said to them? I said, all that awkwardness that you feel about being in church and the big questions that you have about God and God's goodness and the promises of God and are they true? Those questions, that angst that you feel in your soul, that's actually the best reason to be in church. That this is the place where we work all of that stuff out. We work it out in the presence of God. Have you ever read Psalm 73? Do you know this Psalm? The Psalmist starts out with this brilliant affirmation. He goes, surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But he says, as for me, I nearly lost my foothold. I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He's looking around him at a world in which it doesn't line up with all of the things that he knows to be true about God. And he's trying to make sense of his situation. He's trying to make sense of his own heartache, his own anguish. And he says this, listen. He says, when I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me. Have you ever been in there, in that place? Where you're trying to make sense of all the stuff that's happening in your life and in your world and with your family. And it just like is oppressive to you. It doesn't make sense to you and it weighs you down. Grinds you to a powder. He says, when I tried to make sense of all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. And then I understood he says, that's when I understood that you placed the wicked on slippery ground. That's when I understood that you actually are guiding me. He says, well, I was senseless and ignorant. He says, I was a brute beast before you. And yet, O oh Lord, I know that you guide me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterwards, you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. He comes back to a place where he knows who God is and so he can endure through the difficult season. How did that happen? Where did he come? To the temple to worship, he came to worship. When I tried to make sense of all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. We forget, guys, that our first duty as the people of God is to show up for worship. Do you realize that? Too many people in our day, we treat worship as this thing that we'll kind of get to. If I've got some time, you know, like I'll get around to it, but that's, that's not what God calls us to worship. 
because he wants a people on planet earth bearing witness to his name, but he also calls us to worship for our own benefit. What are some commitments that we can make with our worshiping life? We could say it like this, here are a few that we can make. I will make worship the first priority of my schedule. So many of us, we think that we'll get around to worship after we've taken care of everything else. How about worship? How about our mental like our, our mental, like our mindset towards worship needs to be, what if worship is the cornerstone of our schedule? <laughs> that the first thing that we do as the people of God as we come to worship, I'll make worship the first priority of my schedule. Secondly, I will join the people of God in worship so far as it depends on me. That there are times that you just can't get around to it and there are other things going on, fine. But if it's just that like you've got a Super Bowl party that you're planning for, not good enough reason. You need to be in worship. I will join the people of God in worship so far as it depends on me. And then I'll give my best to God in worship because he's worth it and because it is good for me to do so. We are called to be a worshiping people. You're going to have to fight for this. Number two, I'd say this, that we're called into life-giving connection with each other. So worship, connect is the second one. Look at what Paul says a little earlier in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that he himself is our peace. He's made the two groups, talking about Jews and Gentiles, one And has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. And in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Do you know that the goal of the redemptive work of God in Christ is to put together a people? It's to create a community. A one person said of Jesus that Jesus did not come to write a book, but to form a community. That what God is trying to do on planet earth by the power of his spirit is he's trying to put people back together again. You think about, for instance, in the scriptures, the first impact of the fall in Genesis. The first humans wander away from God. They say no to God. They're cast out of the garden. You know, the first impact of that, Genesis chapter four, Cain murders Abel. Enmity, disconnection falls between human beings. So what's the work of the spirit? The work of the Spirit is that when we're reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to one another. God calls us into life-giving fellowship. And you see this when you look, for instance, in Acts chapter 2. The Spirit is poured out. Pentecost happens. And what takes place in Acts chapter 2? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the, what is that word there? To the fellowship. That's what they devoted themselves to. Not just abstract truth about what God had done, but also to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everybody was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were what? Say it loud. Together and they what? They had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day, every day, think about that. They continued to meet together in the temple courts, breaking bread in their homes, eating together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And wouldn't you know it, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Spirit is poured out and what's created? A community. People opening their hearts to one another, opening their homes to one another, sharing life with one another, no longer hiding, no longer standing in enmity towards one another, but there's an open flow of the Spirit of God between them. And it's in that that the church is built up. The Lord added to their number, what the text say there? Daily, those who were being saved. Somehow it created this vortex of the spirit that people were drawn into. There's such strength in connection with the people of God. Have you experienced that? 
that something happens when you open your life to other people or you let them into your life, that there's a grace that pours into your life and you find that you're strengthened and built up. A good friend of mine years ago, I was serving at this church in Oklahoma and I decided to start this little spiritual formation group where we would get together, a group of like five or six guys. And we get together on the weekly to just talk about what the Lord was doing in our lives and how we were trying to respond to it. Just a simple group, little fellowship group. And one of the guys who was part of our group was a guy who had been in ministry for several years, had tried to plant a church, was sent out by his church to plant a church. And the church plant didn't go well. He started out with 200 people. His church plant, brilliant, like amazing for a Sunday. And then over the course of two years, numbers steadily diminished until they finally had to close their doors. And I remember when I asked him to be part of the group, I said, hey, I think that you'd be, do really well in this. Would you consider it? And he said, Andrew, I'm going to come into this group, but you need to know that where I'm at spiritually. I said, okay. And he said, and he told me the whole story of the church plant that didn't succeed. And he said, I just want you to know that I would never abandon God. I would never run away from God. I'm not apostate or anything like that. It's just that my relationship with God is pretty cold and it's pretty polite right now. Because I feel like God put me out on a limb and asked me to trust him. And I did trust God and it didn't really work out. And so I still believe in God. I still believe that Jesus is the son of God. I still believe all the stuff that church teaches. I just don't really trust God anymore. And I'm not sure if I'm willing to trust God again, but I'm willing to give this group a shot if you're willing to have me on those terms. And I said, if you're willing to be open about where you're at, I'm willing to have you. He said, all right. So week after week after week, we met, get together on Tuesday afternoons. And we talk about what the spirit is stirring in us, what we're sensing and how we're trying to respond to it. And after about six months of doing that, week after week after week, I went around each member of the group and I just said, hey, let's have a little check-in moment. Zoom back now. What's happening in you? What's God doing in you? And I asked each individual that question. I got around to him. I said, his name is Bill. I said, Bill, what's going on in you? How's this been for you? And he said, Andrew, I don't know what to tell you. And I, don't, I couldn't point to like a moment where everything suddenly changed. But he said something about being with you guys and just opening my, like opening my life to you talking about what's going on in me, talking about what's happening in my spirit, somehow the ice of my spirit has begun to thaw. And I'm finding myself in a place where I want to trust God again, where I'm willing to take risks for Jesus again. Thank you for that. There is a magic that takes place when we are open to one another in community that is unlike anything I know on planet earth. If you could take that stuff and bottle it, if you could take that stuff and bottle it, every person that showed up in my office with some problem, if I could just inject that in them, you know, and then mass produce and market that and sell it, man, I'd be a trillionaire. Because it is the most explosive healing force in the world. That kind of openness and connection. I think about several weeks ago, we just took a group of about 80 people in our church to this discipleship experience called Rooted. Got up here on a Sunday night right before Thanksgiving. And we just heard testimony after testimony after testimony of all these people who got in these rooted groups. So many of them were very skeptical at the start, invited to share their life testimony, invited to have people be part of their lives. And all of a sudden there's like this turn that happens. Transformation takes place that nobody orchestrated other than the Holy Spirit. Guys, are you in community? Are you in fellowship? Are you fighting for it? And do you know that you have to fight for it? Do you know that nobody's just going to like hand this to you on a platter? Do you know that community is challenging? Do you know why community is challenging? Because of people. You know what I mean? 
You ever been around people? People are super weird. I mean, they're just the weirdest. They're so weird. I keep meeting people. I'm meeting people all the time. Every time I meet people, I'm like, you're weird. You're super weird. And then I get to know people more and more. I'm like, you're not just weird. You're kind of obnoxious on some fronts. You know that? And that's 100% of us. Part of the problem that we struggle with is that we walk into community and we go that everybody else is weird and obnoxious. But I'm fine. No, you're not fine. You're weird and obnoxious too. But pastor, you can't be weird and obnoxious. Talk to her. (laughs) Mandy Arndt will tell you she will not lie. She'll tell you how weird and obnoxious I am. Very strange, strange man. It's like a miracle that I can be in society at all. And I tell her all the time, we've been married for good. It'll be 24 years this August. And I'm growing more eccentric and stranger the older I get. And I always... (laughs) Because every once in a while I would like check in. I asked her one time, I was like, honey, if you knew that I was going to be like this when you said I do all those years ago, would you still have done it? And she paused longer. (laughs) And I said to her, honey, thank you for your honesty. Also, I'm sorry, it's not getting any better. The older I get, we're guys, we are strange. We're strange. You're strange. All of us are strange. The only way that you actually make it in community is by acknowledging that up front and just knowing that you're kind of a lot to deal with too. And then having, and this is the thing, if I could say anything to you about this, on this point about community, it's this. It's having the spine to keep showing up. And right now we are dealing with an epidemic of spinelessness in our culture. The moment we're a little bit flustered by people, we pull the ripcord and we go somewhere else. Or the moment we come face to face with our own fallenness and our own shortcomings, we go, oh, I don't want anybody to see that. So we pull the ripcord and we go somewhere else where we can mask our fallenness and our shortcomings for a little bit longer. Then, of course, three months later, people are going to start seeing it. And so we pull the ripcord and we keep doing this again. And, And so what's happening is the bonds between us are breaking down. Do you know why? Because we're lacking spine And do you know that you just need, you need courage just to live, to keep showing up, to keep facing it. Mandy and I have been talking about this the last year. I feel like what the Lord has been teaching us is that you are not like no community can survive if it's not willing to have hard conversations. I feel like every week, every day of my life now, I'm just faced with it over and over again, where it's like, oh, crap. Either I messed up or you messed up or something happened. And now I'm going to have to wander into that fraught space and say, hey, can we have a talk about that thing that you did there that impacted me or impacted us in that way? Can we talk about that now? We're going to have to enter into that fraught space. But do you know what's on the other side of that willingness to engage in conflict? Relationship, transformation, peace. And I cannot tell you how many times I've been face-to-face with that moment where I just feel all kinds of fear and trepidation in my spirit. God Almighty, I don't want to have to do this again. And you take the deep breath and you have the conversation and then you go, look at that, the Lord created peace. That's what Paul says. That he himself, Jesus Christ, is our peace who has taken the two wherever the two are found and he's made them what? One. 
are we willing to trust that? Are we willing to trust that the promise of Jesus is so? And are we willing to trust that the agency of the Holy Spirit is at work in all of our midst to bring us together and to release transforming power? We're called, guys, into life-giving fellowship and connection with one another. And then third, I'll say to you, I got some commitments there, but we got to skip by all that stuff because I'm running out of time. Number three, I'll email them to you if you're interested, but I think you got the point. (laughs) Three, we're called to give ourselves away. We are called to give ourselves away in service. Everybody say service. Service, worship, connect, serve. We're called to give ourselves away in service to others. Watch what Paul says, Ephesians chapter two. And with this, we'll start making the turn into communion. Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this wasn't even from yourselves. This is the gift of God. It's not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus. Say it loud, church. No, it wasn't good enough. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance. But why has God saved you? Why has the spirit touched your life? Why has Jesus Christ redeemed you? It is not, as Rory said, so that you can park all of the blessing of that in your life and just go, wow, me and Jesus, this is great, wow but so that you can be a conduit, a channel of the grace of God for others. Paul says later in Ephesians that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Do you know what happens when the grace of God is released? Paul says elsewhere in Titus, he says that the grace of God is the thing that brings salvation. Do you know what happens when the grace of God is released in the place? It's not a trick question. Salvation. The body of Christ is built up. Things happen in our midst that would not happen Otherwise, and when I look around at New Life East, I think about our history, our story as a community. Do you know that the strength that we have as a community, all that we are right now, do you know that we have risen in direct proportion to the degree to which people have been willing to give of themselves to other people? Do you know that? And do you know that the grace that's been released, and think about all the blessing that you've received just by being part of this house. Do you know the grace that's been released in this house is only a fraction of the total grace that is here? Do you know that? What would happen, I wonder? What would happen, I wonder, if all of us in our hearts decided I'm gonna give my best to God and I'm gonna give my best to God's people and I'm gonna trust what the Lord does with it. How how much stronger would we be as a people? How much more ministry would be released in this house? How much more salvation would take hold? How much more transformation would take place? How many more lives would be changed this moment It's a moment for all of us, people of God, to re-up, to sign up again, to be God's people. We're called to be here, present. First call of the people of God is to show up for worship. Second call of the people of God is to open up our lives to one another. And the third call of the people of God is to what? Give ourselves away in service to others. Would you stand now? And would you just offer yourself unto the Lord? All that you are and all that you have, Jesus, come and search us. Come and search us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said that when Christ Jesus calls a person, he bids them to come and die. And we keep forgetting that in our baptism, we've surrendered our lives to you. So what we do is we keep trying to hold back pieces of it, part of it. 
We make our career more important than our call to be the people of God. We make our desire for stuff more important than our call to be the people of God. We make our desire for safety, our desire to avoid conflict, we make that more important than the call to be part of the people of God. And I'm just praying that right now, all of the excuses that we have lifted up that would prevent us from fully engaging with the call is just fall to the ground. Not praying that somehow you would provoke us again to like the meaning of our baptisms, what we've been called to. And I pray that you'd help us remember that Christianity is not signing up for a bunch of ideas and saying, yeah, I agree with that. But Christianity is about following Jesus. And Paul says that it's not I, but it's Christ in us. That's the hope of glory. And so this morning, as we come to the table, Christ Jesus, we ask that you would take new ground in us. Take new ground. Make us yours. And so we remember that on the night that you were betrayed, after you'd given thanks, you took the bread and you broke it. And you gave thanks He said, this is my body, it's broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, you took the cup saying, drink from this, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the remission of sins. Do whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So Lord Jesus, we ask that you take the bread and the cup this morning, lay your hands on them, bless them, break them, give them to us. And we ask that somehow your own life and your calling the inexorable call of Jesus Christ, that that would take hold in us more this morning as we come to the table. So do it, we pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite our servers to come forward this morning to serve communion. Communion, as always, will be on my right and my left up front here. And as you come, you'll come up the center aisle and then you'll take, the server will put a cracker in your hand. You'll dip it in the cup and then you'll take it back as you head back to your seat. We always say, at the table is for all of those who trust that Jesus Christ is Lord and have surrendered their lives to Jesus. And if that's you, whether you're a part of our family or not, you're welcome to come to the table. If that's not you this morning, we'll have an opportunity at the end of the service to pray with somebody to open up your heart to Jesus for the first time. But brothers and sisters, I say to you that these are the gifts of God and they're given for the people of God. Come forward and receive communion.
if you know this, but sing this with me. And I stand, I stand in all of you. I stand, I stand in all of you. Holy God, to whom all praise is due. I stand in all of you. That's how it goes. Sing it one more time. I stand in all. I stand, I stand in all of you. I stand. What difference can a community that's full of the Holy Spirit make in the world? And I got one more story I want to share with you before we get out of here. But while we were worshiping together on Christmas Eve, uh, most of you know we did this initiative. Every December we do it, adopt families And it's a thing where if you don't have the resources to provide Christmas for your kids, your family, the church will come alongside you and it'll do it. And we as a community, we did 95 families in December, this church did. So amazing. But while we were in here worshiping on Christmas Eve, one more family came in. And it was a grandmother who's taking care of her two grandkids. The, the parents of the grandkids, both had died. Or, yeah, both had died. And so she's taking care of the kids all by herself. She's on limited income, living right at the poverty line, down at Hotel Elegante, temporary living situation. And that situation was about to come to an end. It's just a mess. They, she didn't have anything to provide for the the grandkids. And so we got wind of that, a family from our church did, and just decided on Christmas Eve, like we're in here worshiping and we're all putting together our plans for Christmas Eve. One of the families from New Life East just decided that's unacceptable that these people should have to celebrate Christmas with like nothing. And so they went to the store and loaded up a couple shopping carts with gifts, gifts, and more than enough gifts for these kids. And then brought them a hot ham dinner and took it all the way down to Hotel Elegante and surprised them with it, blessed them with it on Christmas Eve. And just like was so moving for that, for that grandmother. And when I heard that story, I just went, that right there. Like, that's it. What difference can a community that's devoted to being the people of God and full of the Holy Spirit, what can it make? I don't know what difference it's going to make in their lives. The Lord knows. But that's like a legacy. It's like a thing. It's, it's the kingdom of God. And so this morning, Jesus, we're signing back up. We're signing back up for all that you call us to be, all that you desire us to be. We ask that you would order our lives into the kingdom of God, to worship and to community with one another and to a life that's devoted to giving ourselves away in service to the people of God and the world around us. Come and fill us with the spirit just to that and strengthen this community. We pray as we get ready to make our transition to Rocky Mountain Classical Academy and all that's gonna mean for us, we ask that you would build us up and make us strong. And we ask that the grace that you put into this house would spill over onto the world around us. And that many would see and fear, put their trust in the Lord. And so New Life East, lift your hands like this. I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you today. That he would make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. That the Lord would turn his face towards you and give you his peace. 
In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, grace, mercy, and peace be with you. If you need prayer for anything this morning, uh, we would love to pray with you. Our prayer team will be available to you. Make sure to hang out with us for fellowship hour here after the service. And see Andrew Devaney if you have any questions about the Uganda trip or you can see one of us on staff. We love you. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. We'll see you real soon.